way it's a little more interactive with the people, get people to do it a little bit more. That hey, they mentioned my story. But, uh, and then you know the more major ones we can still stick and have those for yeah. full episodes. But like just little, you know, in my hometown we had a tree that ate people or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, so we're gonna go ahead and get started with this episode. I am Don. I'm Ruben. I'm Josh. And we're going to the movies today, guys. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing a big one. Doing a big, yeah, what, movie what, urban legend. What it is. It is The Curse of Poltergeist. You've never heard of the movie Poltergeist? I have heard of I have heard that there is a movie, right, called Poltergeist. You've never seen Poltergeist? Uh, sorry. This is an audio medium. No, Don, I have not seen Poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you didn't grow up in the 80s, I guess. No, I I just grew up with a mom who didn't like or you know tv or movies really well. and a dad who was a black man would it help if i told you that the black man in this movie lived no oh well i'm not gonna have seen it <laughs> <laughs> i won't change anything yeah. all right so in the early 1980s i just, mean that is revolutionary yeah in its own sad way well, actually uh, that's that's progressive is it it's progressive yeah. is it <laughs> this is 82 so we haven't come that far i guess but then and again nobody dies in poltergeist so right so, so okay perhaps <laughs> <laughs> have you seen poltergeist yeah That's no right. i haven't okay so in the early 1980s, just a short while before the PG-13 rating came into use, a horror movie came along that, to this day, is considered one of the greatest movies in the genre. Co-written by cinema giant Steven Spielberg. Is this the one? No, the, is this the one where the house pulls the lady through the door? This is the one with the little girl in front of the TV that goes, "They're here." Nope. Oh, okay. Um, I. I yeah, so co-written by cinema giant Steven Spielberg. I think I might be talking about it. There's oh, it's a newer one, the the one where it's like all um, fucking. It's like the house is haunted, but you never see a ghost. You only see shit happen to the people in the house. Paranormal activity. That's the one. Yeah. <clears throat> so co-written by Steven Spielberg and directed by horror legend Toby Hooper, who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. Mm-hmm. The movie reached a massive audience with its PG rating, meaning anyone could see this masterpiece just in spite of their age. Not only did PG-13 not exist, um, PG used to be way more lenient. Oh, yeah. Like, so this this fell into a sweet spot in, in, the, in the time of movies, in the great age of theater going. Right. Um, the movie made $77 million at the box office, which we can confidently say is pretty much over now, actually, yeah. which is wild. Um, which in today's dollars is about 231 million. That's fucked. That's yeah. The PG rating and the connection to Spielberg, who just one week later would release one of the greatest family films of all time in ET led many to believe that the movie was safe for children. Instead, mm. mm-hmm. Spielberg and company foisted onto the world, a movie that to this day leads children to cover up their clown dolls, block the closet doors, and fear the trees outside of their bedroom window. I'm talking, of course, of the horror masterpiece, Poltergeist. Just the mention of this title brings many memories, especially to those who saw the movie in theaters. The classic scene of the young Carol Ann sitting in front of a static-filled TV screen, turning to utter the famous words, They're here. 
Or the scene of the mother Diane Freeling falling into an unfinished swimming pool during the climax. I got to look up some images. And being attacked by the, from the corpses of those that never received the rest that they deserve. Poltergeist is nothing short of a masterpiece in storytelling, pacing, and downright classic imagery. It went on to spawn two sequels and a remake in the ni- 2015. I have not seen this one. <clears throat> Poltergeist sounds familiar to me because apparently there is a 2015 remake. remake yeah. yeah, there was a remake. Which we... I will guarantee worse quality. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. The not way... visually, yeah. just overall. Oh, yeah. Visually, yeah. there was a lot of stunning, but just the visceralness of it, no. Yeah. yeah. I, know, I saw the original on TV when I was a kid once, and I think for a long time it's why I didn't like clowns. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, it was the reason that I did like Scary Clowns. Poltergeist has a clown in it? <laughs> yeah, a clown yeah. doll. Uh-huh. Oh. We'll, well, yeah, we'll get to that. No, I don't, I don't know this one at all. This is going to be new information for me. But there is something else that the film is known for. A darker, more sinister theory that has permeated the legacy of the movie since at least the late 80s. And that is the belief that the filming of the film, the first film, brought a curse onto all who were part of the production and while some of the facts that led to this belief are circumstantial at best, there are some that can be difficult to just explain away, explain away as mere coincidence. We're going to find out today. <laughs> but before we get to the reason some believe that there was a curse on the movie, we need to discuss what people believe caused the curse in the first place. And it all comes down to, the, to cost cutting on behalf of the set designers for the original film. How? How? Wait, are we... Fuck me, I'm lost today. <laughs> is this one of the ones where it is just the true story of the poltergeist being made and this curse? Or is it like there's a curse and also a true story that is similar to this as well? No, this is this is going to be a campfire story. So if you're straight sure. up me telling you this is the story, this is why people believe it. Nice. Yeah. I have to set my expectations for the episode. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Mm-hmm. Because I, I needed to know whether or not to be scared. <laughs> <laughs> so to do that, we must go back to the aforementioned pool scene at the end of the movie. Unable to reach her children after having been blocked by the evil force infesting the house, Diane Freeling, played by Joe Beth Williams, races outside in the rain trying to grab the attention of their neighbors. Diane Freeling is a very good name for the 80s, and also a fairy. <laughs> <clears throat> the backyard... She, that's a that's an NPC name for sure. I am, Di- I am Diane Freeling. Excuse me? I'm just a lonely shopkeeper. Nothing <laughs> sinister. Would you like a cupcake? <laughs> so, um, it's made of human meat. The backyard... No, no, no. If you eat fairy food, uh, you like either right, become right. it, it, like sort of enthrall to them or you can't leave their realm or they get to take your name depending on when and where the legend is coming from so the backyard is mostly taken up by an unfinished swimming pool that the family was having built the muddy sides of the pool are slick with the rain and the deep end is slowly filling up with the torrential downpour in her haste diane comes too close to the edge and slips in rolling down to the deep end as she comes up out of the water a skeleton rises from the water covered in mud then another, and another, until she's surrounded by a multitude of corpses trying to pull her back down into the muddy depths. Like that one scene in Jason and the Argonauts. Okay, I haven't seen it. 
Have you seen? You it? haven't seen Poltergeist. Yeah, you're giving me a look because I have you. I'm not. not no, you, I haven't. You what? No. Am I the only one? Yeah. Who watched that shit in yeah, school? Yeah, the only one ever. There's no way. I've never <laughs> had anyone remember Jason and the Argonauts, and I watched that shit like in eight classes over like six years. That was th- those were all fever dreams. You fell yeah. asleep There's and no had a way. recurring dream in class. I don't know if that's the name of it, but that's who it was following. It was like one of those Iliad slash Odyssey ones, like a movie I, adaptation I of a Greek myth. I just don't remember it. There's at like all. a scene that I'm specifically thinking of where Jason is it's the part of the myth where he's fighting the skeletons in the arena. No. What? I've seen like clips of like you're talking about the Harryhausen Ray Harryhausen I stop believe motion. so. Yeah, yeah, the stop yeah. motion skeletons, but it's a f- action man. Yeah, I've seen clips of it. I've never watched it though. Yeah, that's a real movie. And we really really watched it. I promise. 1963 film. Yeah, <laughs> it was old. It was actually pretty fun. So, Joe Beth Williams said in a later interview that she was hesitant to do the pool scene because she was surrounded by lighting equipment, and that if it were to fall into the water, she would be fried. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Spielberg, who was also a producer on the film, jumped into the pool with her, stating that if something happened, they would both fry. <laughs> that's confidence, that's not, though. Yeah. I mean, okay. If you are confident in your safety personnel and also your insurance policy, which is mandatory if you're making a film... Um. Yeah, that's a good move. Otherwise, no. And you know, I know a little bit about Steven Spielberg, and that man is unhinged. <laughs> so well, no, while it, it there kinda... was maybe a good chance that they both would fry yeah. in this pool, probably. Yeah, it's possible. But it reminds me of an episode of MythBusters where um Adam Adam Savage was about to do something that was like very life threatening, and there's a clip of him like tying all the ropes and everything, and he's like. When you're doing something where your life depends on the rigging, you do your own rigging. And he goes back to like tying the ropes and stuff for yeah. all of the the rigs. Unless you're shit at rigging. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I would trust Adam Savage with my life any day. Right. Then you then you find and hire someone who can demonstrate that they can rig for themselves first. Yeah, yep, true. And then for you. I would hire Adam Savage to do anything. He's I, one of my heroes, by the way. He's Fucking amazing! I'll be honest. Love Adam Savage. Jamie Jamie was cool too, but he yeah. he did less later. Yeah, I'll still watch Adam Savage. I do. I, I really watch his little watch maker Jamie studio thing. Yeah, dude. yeah, but it's really watched Adam Savage like, make a like ten thousand Nerf ball drum. I watched him make some uh, Star Lord armor. It was really cool. Nice. So now, while some may give credit to Spielberg for this, they may think oh, right. twice. An unhinged man. Yeah. They yes, may yes. think Back twice. Back to the unhinged guy in a less cool way than Adam Savage. <laughs> they may think twice when they find out that he was keeping something else a secret from Williams. What? The skele- Spielberg? Yeah. No fucking way. The skeletons being used in the scene were, in fact, real human skeletons. I did know that, yes. actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's like See, one of the There was most- a time... Oh. Yeah, it's the craziest fact about movies ever. Yeah. yeah, There was a time in U.S. history, up to and including right now, where it was sometimes cheaper. Well, I don't think you can do the... I don't think you can, like, buy skeletons anymore or rent them like you used to be able to. Not the same way. Not no, the same way, have but a, you like, can definitely have it, like, like a donated... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like somebody who's really into fucking films and shit. Yeah, it's imagine not saying I'm going to donate my body to science. But I'm going to donate movies. my body to Spielberg. That's crazy. <laughs> not even Spielberg to like a no, prop company. Yeah. Like that's 
you used to could just purchase real human body parts. Yeah. On for and just for movies like just to do shit you with. Want with them. So uh, history been- is way crazier than you think. Way closer than See? you think. So now you know. Even Tansler history that's currently happening. Oh my god! Fuck you for no. that. <laughs> <laughs> So it is this fact that leads most people to believe that the filming of the Poltergeist series was cursed. Um, I mean, that would do it. Honestly, yeah. that would yeah. do it. But what is there evidence that points to this possibility? That's that's really enough for most of these people. But and no, by these people, I mean the people who make these stories up. But what are the, the signs <laughs> of the curse is what I'm saying. Uh, I got you. The first sign. I'm just getting ahead of it. Yeah. The first sign. um, that something might be amiss occurred during the filming of the clown doll attack in which Robbie Freeling played by Oliver Robbins had his worst fears confirmed about the clown doll in his room. Is that a boy or a man? A boy. Okay. In the movie. Um, the clown's arm elongates and wraps around Robbie's neck numerous times before dragging him under the bed. I, that is actually scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're um, going to have to, show him we should probably watch poltergeist one night yeah. for like a movie night I, I would love to at some point do just like a live like us riffing on a movie yeah I would I would make a riff tracks for a movie <laughs> yeah I would do that um, for sure so to film this scene the way it was done is that the filmmakers wrapped the arm around Robbie's neck that would actually we should do that soon yeah that's actually I talk during movies a lot <laughs> yeah we should just capture that moment I can just move that monitor over here Honestly, I'm with that. Um, so they wrapped him around his neck and then filmed, put it, played it in. Okay. And then, oh my so God. So they dragged the child under the bed. No, no, no. They wrapped the arm around the neck. Uh huh. So they asphyxiate being, the child. No, they, well, it's, they film it being pulled off and then play it in reverse. So it oh, looks like the arm is like a rip cord. Around, yeah, yeah. Making it look like it's wrapping around his neck on film. That's a that's a cool trick. Uh, that the, was, the same way they did uh, for the Austin Powers scene where they filmed him being lowered into the water. Oh, and yeah, yeah, played yeah, it in yeah, reverse yeah. so he was coming out of the water in dry clothes. Yeah. That's so, so fun. Yeah. That was how it I was. I like that. Yeah, sorry. That was how it was supposed to work anyways. You, you did this. <laughs> While filming the scene, the arm did not unravel as expected and instead began to tighten around the young actor's throat causing him to begin choking. No way. Yeah, right. That's Nobody not how rope physics. <laughs> the filmmakers on set thought that the Idiots. boy was improving his actions and continued filming. I know I said it was a cool trick, and it is a cool trick, but like I was somehow foolishly assuming that they had somehow lubricated this arm or loosely <laughs> no. wrapped it around a child's throat. Before given, pulling it hard. You've given Spielberg too much credit. I have. <laughs> I was going to say movie directors of the 80s, but specifically, specifically Spielberg. Spielberg. Yep. Also others, but Spielberg so, specifically. They thought he was improv and continued filming until Steven Spielberg Steven noticed. Steven Spielberg is responsible for the mental health journeys of many people <laughs> in a negative way. But he was the one that noticed. He's that- responsible for actual trauma to human beings. I just want to make that clear. Movies are dope. Not that cool. Not worth it. You feel me? He noticed that Oliver was, in fact, turning blue and rushed in to help the boy. Now, the next event. uh, Do you see what I'm saying? (laughs) But did we get the shot? Yeah. Um, The next. He choked the boy. Blue. (laughs) Was far more tragic and involved the actress who played Dana Freeling, the family's oldest daughter, an actress by the name of Dominique Dunn. 
Now, Dominique came from a very prestigious, prestigious family. Her mother was ranching heiress Ellen Be- Beatriz, and her father was famed actor, writer, and producer Dominic Dunn. Her, I have never heard of Dominic Dunn. Me either. Uh, her but old, there was a whole, I just, I know a lot of s- weird movie facts, so specifically about the industry. So there was a time as well, way before, like in between when we first started calling them talkies to differentiate them from silent films. Yeah. Which were called movies, which is why they are still called that today. Yep. Um, there was a time where it was, there were so many film directors making so many films that many people, it was like the first boom um, back in the black and white era where like musicals were a huge thing. Yeah. So musical directors and shit would be super famous. Mm-hmm. And we don't know their names now unless you're a thespian kid. All right. Anyway, sorry. So her older brother was Griffin Dunn. Uh, That's best, a good name. Best known in horror circles as Jack from an American werewolf in London. Griffin Dunn, a.k.a. Jack, also really good name for like, like a literal Griffin. Yeah. Who's trying to remain low key. <laughs> so Dominique spent the majority of her acting career playing recurring roles in TV series TV series in the late seventies and early eighties. In 1981, she landed the role of Dana in Poltergeist, her first feature. I want to record I'm sorry, Don. I am sorry. But I just want to just real quick on that Griffin name for myself in the future. I just want to remind myself later that um Griffin Dunn sparked the idea, and this might be cool to you guys, uh, it sparked the idea that in certain fantasy worlds, there should be dragons that admire the way that birds fly, such that they name themselves after birds and not the other way around. Oh, that's pretty cool. Isn't that pretty dope? Yeah. I like that a lot. Um... So, yeah, Poltergeist was her first feature film role. While filming Poltergeist, she landed the role of Robin on the TV miniseries V. Everything was going Dominique's way until v she met. V or the? V. The letter v, v. the letter V. Yeah. Okay. You never saw V? No, Holy Don. Fuck. I saw so many movies and so many TV shows that no one else has heard about, as I have demonstrated a moment ago <laughs> and many times hence and before. Like, it, it, I will never stop amazing me how closely I lived to everyone else in a city and didn't see shit that they saw. I also keep forgetting that you guys are 20 years younger than I am. That's fair. Yeah. I do forget that often. I do too. <laughs> v Don was... has a, a teenager who's almost grown, and yeah. I am I am not that much older than that kid. Yeah. Like, So everything was going Dominique's way until she met John Sweeney. Oh, shit, I am that much older than that kid. Fuck me. Yeah. So Sweeney worked as a sous chef at the restaurant Ma Maison in L.A., he met Dunn at a party in 1981. Oh, I just had that was that was a big moment for me just now. <laughs> After just a few weeks of dating, they moved in together into a one bedroom apartment in West Hollywood. The that period- same apartment would now cost six thousand dollars a yeah. month, uh, six billion trillion <laughs> pennies a month. Uh, the honeymoon period ended quickly, however, uh, as Sweeney's jealousy uh, was jealous and possessive side began to appear. Causing the relationship to dissolve quickly. You're saying a man named Sweetie Sweeney was jealous and possessive? <laughs> what? Um, Can't believe it. They frequently fought, and the fights quickly became physical. 
According to one account, on August 27th, 1982, Sweeney yanked handfuls of hair out of Dunn's head. Wow. Dunn fled to her mother's house. Sweeney followed and began banging on the doors and windows to be let in. Honestly, no, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) What is the meme right now? My brother in Christ. You're too angry. My brother in Christ, no. (laughs) Uh, He left after Dunn's mom threatened to call the police on him. A few days later, Dunn returned to the apartment they shared, and the relationship continued. No! I understand how cycles of abuse work, and if you're in one of those, we believe in you. The help is out there. You can find it. I promise you, it's worth it to leave. So in The se- love bombing stage isn't worth the abuse. It's really stage. not. So in September of 1982, another argument led to Sweeney grabbing Dunn by the throat and throwing her to the ground, where he proceeded to strangle her. A friend that was staying with them at the time heard loud gagging sounds and rushed into the room. As a victim of abuse, I understand why you stay and why it's in really hard to say why you didn't do something different. But, like, fucking do something different, guys. It's okay. <laughs> it's scary, and you should do it anyway. Yeah. So Dunn told the friend that Sweeney was trying to kill her. A claim that Sweeney denied and asked Dunn to come back to bed. <laughs> so, there, I wasn't trying to come on, come back to bed. Come on. But this uh, is, yeah. So Dunn agreed, but then proceeded to sneak out the bathroom window. When Sweeney, Good. When, yes. When, Good when, move. Queen. <laughs> when Sweeney heard the car start up, he ran outside and jumped onto the hood. Absolutely. Fuck this guy. 100%. <laughs> Get ran over. Dunn stopped long enough to allow him to jump off and drove to her mom's house where he where she stayed. Um, she also stayed at the house of her friends, at houses of her friends. She later called Sweeney and told him that they were through. After he moved out of the apartment, she returned to the to, re, she returned to the apartment and changed all the locks. Okay. On October thirtieth, nineteen eighty two, Dunn was at her apartment rehearsing. I feel like changing the locks should have come after the hair pulling thing. And, you know, it takes time and a lot of building courage, to be fair. I get it. Um, Maybe this was the move away stage. Yeah. Uh, She was rehearsing lines with her V co-star, David Packer. This is the woman from the Poltergeist film. Yes. She played the young daughter or the oldest daughter, Dana. How old was the oldest daughter in In the the movie? movie, She was like supposed to be like 16, 17. Okay. So she was probably what? Like in her early 20s. 20s ish. Mm hmm. Um, she received. A so this was happening during. This is at no the filming. No, no, no. Poltergeist has been released. Okay, so yeah, okay. Poltergeist came out the summer of eighty two. This is now October of eighty two. Okay, she's so she has been, lines for a different. Movie. Yeah, so she me. has been, but she's been suffering abuse at the hands of this guy for at least since Poltergeist was released. Right, she met him in eighty one. So right, yeah. So yeah. So probably around the time probably around filming. filming. Yeah, yeah. Um. She received a phone call from a friend, and while she was on the phone, the operator broke in, stating that Sweeney needed to speak to her. What? Yeah, so he he interrupted the line. Emergency interruption. Wow. Yeah, phones were really different back then. I yeah. forgot that operators could just do that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Dunn told the friend that she would call him back and uh, was trying to get... She needed to get Sweeney off the phone. However, 10 minutes later, Sweeney was on the front porch... After speaking to him through the locked door for a few minutes, she agreed to talk to him on the front porch. Once outside, the two began to argue. 
David Packer, who was still inside and claimed, claimed that he heard smacking sounds, two screams and a thud. Packer called the police and was told that Dunn's apartment was out of their jurisdiction. Absolutely. What? Packer then called a friend and told them that if he was found dead, the killer was John Sweeney. He left the apartment through the back entrance and approached the driveway. Whoa. I mean, yeah, (laughs) no, that's, that's hard. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't want to be in that situation, but I hope I would have a similar reaction. Right. Um, I'll put it differently. I don't want any of my friends to be in that situation, but if they are, I will do my best to have that reaction, you know? <laughs> um, so he left the apartment through the back entrance and approached the driveway. Packer could see Sweeney in the bushes kneeling over Dunn. Noticing Packer, <clears throat> Sweeney told him to call the police. When the police arrived, Packer was standing in the driveway with his hands up. He called out, I killed my girlfriend and I tried to kill myself. He would later testify that he had, they had argued, but he could not remember what happened. He only could recall being on top of her with his hands around his, her neck. I never believe that either when people nah. say they can't recall. Yeah. You just don't want to say the really bad part to people. Not if, not if you're already an abuser. Like if, like if, who, who, if cat fucking killed somebody i believe cat i would believe that she blacked out that's about the only person i know yeah like that does not mean kill anyone cat no yeah don't do that i mean if you do you know you know who to call but like (laughs) 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 so uh dunn was rushed to cedar sinai medical center in la and placed on allegedly police in the future (laughs) yeah from this joke that i've made (laughs) Doctors performed brain scans that showed that she had no brain activity due to lack of oxygen. Jesus. After four days on life support on November 4th, her parents consented to have her removed from life support. Yeah, I wrote that weird. Now, Sweeney was initially charged with attempted murder, but after Dunn's death, his charges were upgraded to first degree murder, to which he pled not guilty. Fuck him. Sweeney's trial began in August of 1983. He took the stand in his own defense and stated that he and Dunn had reconciled and that they were planning on moving back in together and having children. But on the night of October 30th, Dunn had abruptly changed her mind. According to Sweeney, Dunn had told him that she had been leading him on and lying about getting back together. He testified that he then lunged at her, but has no recollection of choking her. He stated that he came, came to with his hands around her throat and her not breathing. Nah, no, <laughs> not how it happened. He stated that Do you he, know how long it takes to suffocate someone actually? Several minutes. Several minutes. Up to 15. Somewhere between 5 at the low end and 15 at the max. Like it takes a lot of effort to to kill someone with asphyxiation with your bare hands, especially if they are fighting you. It was probably somewhere between two and five minutes, to be realistic, because it was enough to break he, her brain activity. That's what I was going to say. If he, if you pinch a nerve or something like that, it's not suffocation, but like it will. If you pinch a blood vessel, that shit is. You can't get oxygen to your brain. You know, it doesn't take long in that case. Snack break. Sorry, my <laughs> blood sugar was dropping. Fair. You're good, dude. Um. So he stated that he tried to give her CPR, 
which caused her to vomit, which in turn caused him to vomit. He stated he ran into Dunn's house and swallowed a bottle of pills in an attempt to kill himself. How long did it take this other dude to come out? I would. Would you want to go running out? Yes. I would hope that I would. Out the front door or the back door? I might. Hey, listen. I might freeze when I get out there, but I'm going to get out there. Yeah. I have been in traumatic situations before, some of which involved violent people. And I, I don't know, like, if I'm the best person to have around, but, like, at least it's better than not having. I will call the cops at least. I've been in situations where I was afraid that I would make the wrong choice Probably and found somebody. that I made the correct choice in the moment in those situations. So I would hope that this is like that. Well, yeah, I remember, first of all, you don't know when he started choking her. He did call the police and then called, was told that it was out of the jurisdiction and then called yeah. his friend. If I hear two slap-like sounds... And a thud and a couple of screams. Oh, no, this is the 80s. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, probably I'm going to call the cops first, but then I'm running out. <laughs> yeah. I'm running out while on the phone with the police now, but you're yeah, attached yeah. to the wall with yeah. the phone back then. So so he stated that he ran back in, tried to swallow or swallowed pills to attempt to kill himself. He went back outside and laid down next to Dunn to await the police. Sweeney's court-appointed attorney argued that the attack was in the heat of passion and not premeditated as Sweeney was being charged. However, the police investigators in the DA's office dismissed Sweeney's version of events because there was no evidence that bolstered Sweeney's claim that he had taken a bunch of pills. In fact, when the police arrived, Sweeney was quite lucid. The first officer on the scene, a deputy Frank D'Amelio, stated that he was, when he arrived, Sweeney told him, man, I blew it. I killed her. I don't think I choked her that I didn't think I choked her that hard, but I don't know. I just kept on choking her. I lost my temper and blew it again. The medical examiner reported that Dunn's autopsy determined that Dunn had been choked for at least three minutes. Yep. Leading the prosecutors to dismiss the claim that the attack was an act of passion. Yeah. Passion fades quickly. Yeah. Yes. Um, given that three minutes was the whole all thing. of my high school relationships. <laughs> Oof. Given the fact Ouch, that, buddy. Yeah, that three minutes was plenty of time to come back to your senses. On August 29th, defense attorney Michael Adelson also requested that Judge Katz rule that the court lacked sufficient evidence to try Sweeney on the charge of first-degree murder because predetermination was not established. Katz granted the request, and as such, the jurors were instructed to consider the charges of manslaughter or second-degree murder. Deputy District Attorney Stephen Barshop later said that the decision, along with Judge Katz's previous rulings barring the testimonies of both Sweeney's ex-girlfriend and Dunn's mother and friends, seriously undermined the prosecution's case against Sweeney. On September 21, 1983, after eight days of deliberation, the jury acquitted John Sweeney of second-degree murder but found him guilty of a lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter and a misdemeanor assault for the September 26 altercation. Now, Dunn's family was outraged by the verdict, calling it an injustice. After, Yeah, <laughs> right. After Judge Katz excused the jury and commented on the judicial system being upheld, Dominic Dunn, the victim's father, yelled not Judicial does not mean justice yeah. in reality. No, this should have been murder, too, at the least. Yeah. So before he left the courtroom, Dominic Dunn accused Judge Katz of purposely withholding Sweeney's ex-girlfriend testimony from the jury, which would have established his violent history with women. 
Afterward, several media outlets also debated about the events of the trial, and they also debated about the verdict. Several outlets also criticized Judge Katz's ruling, which many argue were, was preferential toward the defense rather than the prosecution. One local Los Angeles television station polled viewers who rated Judge Katz as the fourth worst judge in Los Angeles County. Great. On November 7th, Sweeney was sentenced to six years in prison for manslaughter, which was the maximum sentence which he could have received, with an additional six months for the assault charge. At Sweeney's sentencing... Wow. Yeah. At Sweeney's sentencing, Judge Katz criticized the jury's verdict of manslaughter, stating that he felt that Dunn's death was a case of pure and simple murder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much by the fucking book there, bud. Murder with malice. The jury's foreman, Paul Spiegel, later told the media that both he and his fellow jurors were surprised by Judge Katz's criticism, and he called his comment a cheap shot. Spiegel felt that Judge Katz's criticism did not stem from their verdict. Instead, it stemmed from the harsh criticism which he received after the jury reached its verdict. Spiegel went on to say that he had that had the jury been provided with the opportunity to hear all the evidence, it would have they the jury would have convicted Sweeney of murder. After the trial, John Sweeney was incarcerated in a medium security prison in Susanville, California. He was released on parole in September of 1986 after serving Hold on. only. No, you go ahead. You're about to say it anyway. After serving only three years, seven Jesus months, and 27 Christ. days of his six and a half year sentence. Yeah, I was listening for the year. Yeah, and I was like, "That's not that's <laughs> that's only like three and a half." Like what? So after his release, Sweeney was hired as head chef at an upscale restaurant in Santa Monica, California. After he discovered where Sweeney was working, Dunn's brother Griffin and her mother Lenny stood outside the restaurant where they handed out flyer handed flyers out to patrons. The flyers nice. read, the food you will eat tonight was cooked by the hands that killed Dominique Dunn. Sweeney eventually quit his job due to the protests which were staged by Dunn's family, and he moved out of Los Angeles. Good. Fuck yeah. Literally ran the bitch out of town. Yeah. Good. So the next two deaths that some relate to the curse are a little harder to chalk up to supernatural events. Both involved... Actors. That was not supernatural in any way. No. I know. But, you know, still... I what? Well, okay. <laughs> let me let me try to word it a different way. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to think like I got it. Yeah. So, both involved actors from the sequel Poltergeist 2: The Other Side. The first death was of was that of actor Julian Beck, who portrayed the villainous Reverend Kane, the cult leader and head ghost that desires Carol Ann. D- well, hold on, wait. What is the plot of okay, Poltergeist? So, all right. <laughs> So the background the first, information. Yeah. The original poltergeist, the whole idea was that this neighborhood that this these people lived. It's was, built on an Indian barrier. No, no, no. It's built no? on a graveyard. And yeah, they just well. moved the headstones but didn't move the bodies. Okay. Okay. That got retconned in the second movie that it was a uh a, a doomsday cult led by this Reverend Kane, and he got all these people into a cave saying that the end times were coming and wouldn't let them leave. And they all died in this cave. And that this cave was also underneath where the houses were built. Mm-hmm. So it became more than, but yeah. So 
So, so it was second, on an Indian burial ground. Yeah. So the second movie, the and, main... and we do mean Indian burial ground in the trope sense, people. Yeah. Not in the real sense. Because, <laughs> spoiler alert, America sucks. Yeah. But in the second movie, the spirit of Reverend Kane, the cult leader, is like the main antagonist. Okay. okay. So what is the plot of the original poltergeist, though? I just said it was the house was built on the graveyard that they didn't move the bodies. Okay, but well, like and what? Ha- haunting shit. Yeah, happens. basically, yeah, haunted Okay, house so stuff. this Reverend Kane was brought up in the second movie. A living man. Yes, an eighteen hundreds cult leader who led his people into this cave. That he's was he's the head ghost. Yeah. Okay, the, that's yeah. what I was asking. Yeah, in the first movie, he was referred to as the Beast, and then they just basically retconned that the Beast was Reverend Kane. So, the Beast... What, what do the people in the movie okay, want? The girl, the little girl, Carol Ann, she is... Um, she Don has doesn't understand what I mean I'm when sorry. I ask about they plot. They want the little girl because of her energy. She She's psychic and can... So, so they, they want, want to possess her, her or like no, they eat want her, her energy, energy like hocus pocus style. Hocus pocus style kind okay, of. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Um you said desire and then a name of yeah. a female person, and I was like, Carol I don't Ann. know Ann. whether that was yeah. the mom or the daughter yeah. or the other daughter or Carol Ann is the little girl. She's the only character that goes through all three movies. Okay. Okay. She was five in the first one, and the last one she was twelve, I believe. All right. What happened to the family? Did they all die? Um, I don't, I've actually I've never seen the third movie, so I don't know. I don't oh. know why they're not in the third movie. Oh, maybe she's on like a camping uh, trip. The or second movie they wrote Dominique Dunn obviously was dead, so she couldn't be in the second one. They wrote off that she went to college. College, yeah. it's always college. Yep. So uh, Julian Beck, um, we're gonna go. Hold on, was born in May on May thirty first, nineteen twenty five, in the Washington Heights section of New York City. He briefly attended Yale University, but dropped out to pursue writing and art. He was an abstract expressionist painter in the 40s, but after meeting his wife in 1943, they teamed up and opened the Living Theater in 1947. Do either of you have any art knowledge? Very minor. Okay, what are the words that he just... I know what abstract is, but what was the other one? Expressionist. What's that? Expressionist is... It's people, isn't it? I don't know. If I keep guessing, I'll just embarrass myself. What is expressionism? A style of painting, music, or drama in which the artist or writer seeks to express emotional experience rather than impressions of the external world. That doesn't tell me shit. Okay. um, An example of an expressionist painting is Scream. Yeah, I got it now. They're trying... Okay. They're trying to get across... I got it. it. It literally is just like the different styles of DMing because that's what I'm thinking about right now. Like for me, I describe what is physically there yeah. usually, but if I want to change the mood very quickly and a little bit jarringly, I literally change the way I speak about the thing. Yeah. And, and instead, I bring up different sets of senses and also tell your characters like what – like, like instead of being like, you know, the the air is really heavy with moisture, right? And you begin to feel beads of sweat on your skin. It's more like it is. It's very foggy, 
but there is dread heavy in the air. Yeah. Like, it's a little bit different. So the the second one is impressionist rather than – or expressionist rather than impressionist. impressionist. Yeah. Because you're trying to get somebody to form a mental picture for themselves based on the thing you show them or tell them. Yeah, expressionist is basically trying to convey emotions. Mm-hmm. So um, Beck co-directed the Living Theater until his death. The group's primary influence was Antonin Artaud. Sure. Yeah. Who espoused the idea of the theater of cruelty, which was supposed to shock the audience out of the complacency. Uh, This took different forms. In one one example, from Jack Gelber's The Connection, a drama about drug addiction, actors playing junkies wandered the audience demanding money for a fix. I think what we'd call that now, guerrilla theater. Guerrilla theater is more like you're not expecting it and the theater just kind of jumps out at you. Mm. I think that's more, you would really just call it interactive theater. Like, you know, when we did Rocky and Mark would go through the audience and uh, just like ad lib Dr. Frankenfurter lines to the audience. It sounds like that's more what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like a rent situation. Yeah. So, um, Makes it feel more like you're a part of it. Right. Because Rocky has all the fourth wall breaks. Yeah. It's it's to make you feel more in the moment. To make the whole thing feel more real. Like if you're watching a play about junkies and there are junkies in the audience that are... I mean, junkie is kind of pejorative, but... You know, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, it's it feels much more real when the art is directly engaging with you. Yeah. Um, the Living Theater moved out of New York in 1964 after the Internal Revenue Service shut it that down. That is such a pretentious name, too. What, the now living? that I know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> um, the Living Theater. Yeah. yeah. Get the fuck out of my face. Um, so the Internal Revenue Service shut it down when Beck failed to pay $23,000 in back taxes. Whew. After a sensation, that was in 1964. Yeah. So. After like a sensational trial, now. yeah, in which Beck and Melina, who's his wife, represented themselves. The funky cold? Yeah. Uh, they were found guilty by a jury. Now, Beck's philosophy of theater carried over into his life. No way. He once said, We insisted on experimentation that was an image for a changing society. If one can experiment in theater, one can experiment in life. Uh huh. He was indicted a dozen times on three continents for charges Jesus of disorderly Christ. conduct, indecent exposure, possession of narcotics, and failing to participate in a civil defense drill. Wild. Now, besides his theater work, Beck published several volumes of poetry reflecting his anarchist beliefs. Uh, two nonfiction books, The Life of the Theater and Theandric. I don't know why I didn't write the second book. Oh. Never mind. The Life of the Theater and Theandric. Those were the two books. I'm sorry. It's been a few weeks. I understood that perfectly the first time. And had several film appearances with small roles in Oedipus Rex, Love and Anger, The Cotton Club, and Nine and a Half Weeks. Oedipus Rex. Go back. Yeah. Oedipus Rex in 1967. What is? Well, you know what? The Oedipus Complex. Uh uh Yeah. And I'm so then I'm the thinking Oedipus Rex 
I'm just picturing a dinosaur that really wants to fuck his mom. Looking like, it up. Is it Rex? Like a like a Gerrar? I'm an emo in the early 2000s. No, R E X. Okay, Tyrannosaurus like Rex. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, oh, a little bit of interesting and might explain a lot. Uh, fact I found is that you know he also wrote poetry. There was a person who was a huge fan of his poetry. Uh huh. Oh, it's a play by yeah. Sophocles. Yeah. Oh. Um. Uh. About a dinosaur that really wants to fuck his mom and kill his dad. <laughs> no, it is literally just about Oedipus. It is just the Oedipus one. Oh, okay. But uh, which I thought that was part of a larger myth somehow. No. Yeah, I thought that it was part of like the Odyssey for I some think reason. Maybe the Odyssey is like a. I'm not sure about my timeline, so anybody who's better at that than me, please write in tell tell me how I'm wrong and I'll fix it. But like, I'm fairly. And by fairly, I mean like just above fifty percent confident. Yeah, that that the that Homer was like a fan of Sophocles, uh, or the other way around, maybe. Yeah. But like one of them, I'm fairly certain, sort of like did a did a fucking like a fuck like a. Homage? Fanfic, like oh. a fanfic of the other one, and was like, "This is generations in the future." Or Are you whatever. trying to say that Oedipus Rex was the Fifty Shades of Grey? Of the- oh actually, my fucking god! <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm gonna go deeper than that. I'm pretty sure that the that Oedipus Rex was maybe the fucking Twilight oh, of wow. Dracula. You know what I'm saying? Oh my god! Like so. But no, uh, or maybe the other way around. I can't remember. Yeah. Greek shit is all crazy. What a from horrific sentence before us. But um, every word of that sentence got worse. <laughs> uh huh. But no, Jim Morrison was a huge fan of this guy's poetry. Ah, that so, makes sense. What's yeah, Jim, Jim Mor- Morrison is the Morrison oh, was a big fan a of all of the Oedipus yeah. complex stuff. So uh, well, Morrison was a weird, not great dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. He got his role as the main antagonist in Poltergeist 2 in 1986, and he also appeared in an episode of Miami Vice that was aired 13 days after his death. Beck was diagnosed... What? That's less than two weeks. Yeah. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Beck was diagnosed with stomach cancer in late 1983. He continued to work despite his illness and died in 1985 shortly after completing his work on Poltergeist. I'm sorry. Beck? Is Julian Beck. Beck's his last name. Okay. I just don't like typing full names. Repeatedly. No, I got it. But Beck is also an artist. Yeah. <laughs> so I was confused. Yeah. Time of chimpanzees. I was a monkey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That one. I'm yeah. a loser, baby. So, yeah. So the second death involved uh, an actor by the name of Will Sampson, who played the Native American shaman Taylor in the first sequel. Now, Will was a Muskegee painter, actor, and rodeo performer. He's best known for his performance as the apparent deaf and mute Chief Bromden in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Crazy Horse in the 1977 Western The White Buffalo, and Tin Bears in 1976's The Outlaw Josie Wales. What's this man's nationality? He's Native American. Okay. Yeah. Thank God. Well, those are old movies, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, we'll get to something about that in a minute. Yeah. Samson competed in rodeos for about 20 years. His specialty was bronco busting. And he was on the rodeo circuit when producers for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest were looking for a large Native American to play the role of Chief Bromden. 
See, it says a lot about modern day compared to then that I was excited that he was properly representing his nope. culture nope. and that I was just glad that it wasn't a whitewashing situation. Nah, it was fully exploitation. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say we're spoiled now uh-huh. in a different way. Yep. Yep. So Samson stood an opposing six foot seven feet tall or six foot like seven inches tall. A man whose career repeat all the things he did just now. You he said was a Muskegee painter, uh-huh. an actor and a rodeo performer. Right. He did three things versus uh, guaranteed these white actors were even probably some of the children were paid more than him. Guaranteed. Oh, right. for sure. Um, like double. So rodeo announcer Mel Lambert mentioned none Samson. of them could rodeo. Mel Sant- None Mel- of them were painters. Uh, rodeo announcer Mel Lambert mentioned Samson to them, and after a lengthy efforts to find him, they hired him on the strength of an interview he had never acted before. They may or may not have been painters. I'm not sure. During the filming of The White Buffalo, Samson halted production by refusing to act when he discovered that the producers had hired white actors to portray Native Americans for the film. And there it is. In 1983, with assistance from his personal secretary, Zoe Escobar, Samson founded the American Indian Registry for the Performing Arts for Native American Actors. Yep. He also served as the registry's board of directors. There it is. And that's what I was saying when I said, well, yeah. because, yeah, it is good that um, a Native American was hired to play a Native American. Yeah. It is a little bit concerning that was this this was... A bad guy in the movie? I don't... I've never seen the movie. I don't know. Probably. Probably a ghost of some kind. It was probably a fucking spaghetti western. No, he was was one of the good guys. Oh, hell yeah, then. Yeah. He played an Indian This is what I'm saying. I don't know any of it. You gotta tell me who the fuck (laughs) you're talking about. I'm sorry. I keep forgetting (laughs) that not everybody has seen the movie. In the in the old ones though, it was probably a spaghetti western yeah. type thing. So it was that's what I'm saying. It was either cowboy he finds fucking out fucking Lone Ranger, so it was right. definitely well, Wales. Well, yeah, he mentioned the yeah. Lone Ranger. It, so. it was one of two spaghetti western plots involving Native Americans, which was either one they're savages and they're the enemy, or it was or two they're cute. Yeah, right. <laughs> cowboy discovers. Uh, Falls in love with Native American woman, joins tribe. It's either Thanksgiving before Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving. Yep. So before filming began for Poltergeist 2, the cast and crew noticed an unusual vibe on the set. They asked Samson to do a cleansing on the location before filming began. Which is kind of racist. (laughs) No, he was actually a shaman. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he was actually a shaman, mm-hmm. not just playing one. No. Oh, okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in that case, it's different than when I said, well, but it's similar because, yeah, great. He was a good guy who was a Native American playing a Native American in a movie who was actually a good guy in the 80s. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, then you go and hire other white people. Right. To play... That was in the 60s. This was in the 60s? I no, thought no, no, we were talking no, no, about... No. What the fuck are we... What okay. is going on? We're talking about a lot of movies and a when lot of actors. When he refused to act. Yes. That was in a movie called The White Buffalo. Okay. In the 60s. All right. Poltergeist was in the 80s. Uh, okay. Yeah, he had acted for a while. Yes, I got that. Okay. 
I thought that you were saying what? What? Okay. I thought that <laughs> the, you had said the whitewashing took place in the spaghetti western yes. in the sixties. Okay. Yeah. There was only one Native American in Poltergeist, and that was Will Sampson. Okay. And he was a good guy. He was a good guy. Yes. Okay. He was then, helping the then in the eighties. It's progressive. Yeah. Yes. You you can't listen. <laughs> We've discussed this before on the program. You cannot say words and numbers to me that I have no reference for gotcha. and expect me to follow a plot. You gotta give me more. You gotta give me like I'm gonna start having like tasty cheap, little details. Cheap, like, yeah, index cards for Ruben. These are the people involved in this. That episode. would that would Honestly, be yeah, very it would, helpful. It would help me too. All right, I still follow, that, but I like, follow even better with uh, when you a family tree. When you mention like like a like a a person's name mm-hmm. from the movie, like you mention an actor. And then from the movie, I'm going to miss details either way. Right. But when you say who that you have to tell me who they were in the movie, gotcha. not just me, the audience, because right. a lot of people don't see the same things that we see. So, like, I just I am not for this specific episode. I am lost because <laughs> I don't know what's happening. But like, I mean, I do. But well, I, the I'm thing just is, for little, the most part, you don't need to know much about the movie. Yeah, you know the scenes that were that were necessary. I I, I told telling you about. So it's just I'm caught up on it. Right. I think. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so Samson uh, suffered from scleroderma. Uh, scleroderma. Also, I think it's scleroderma. Jumping around in time so much. We are. Yeah. Uh, which is a group of autoimmune diseases that may result in changes to the skin, blood vessels, muscles, and internal organs. In Samson's case, it affected his heart, lungs, and skin. Now, during his lengthy illness, his weight fell from 260 pounds to 140 pounds. Jesus. God damn. Yeah. So he was six foot seven, 140 pounds. Holy crap. He was literally a foot taller than me, almost. Yeah. He was one wow. inch short of a full foot taller than me, and he weighed less than me. Right. Um, I am six four. <laughs> yeah. So imagine like a dude. Th- actually, I think I'm technically six five according to the police, but I'll have to check again. <laughs> but uh, it's my favorite thing to put in there. But um, <laughs> I honestly, a dude who's three or so inch inches taller than I am, and what did you? 160 pounds. 140, 140 pounds. Uh-huh. That's 20 pounds less than me. Wild. Yeah. Josh yeah. is not big. No, he's not. He's not big. Fucker. Body dysmorphia tells me otherwise. <laughs> yeah, well. So you're not bad. Um, after so undergoing, people tell me after undergoing a heart and lung transplant at Houston Methodist Hospital in Houston, Texas, he died on June. No way was that in Houston. <laughs> he died on June third, nineteen eighty seven, of post operative kidney failure. He mm. was fifty three years old. Damn. So and that's accredited to the. Yes. Well, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. That one and Beck, those really, you can't really blame those on curses. Yeah, but not people really. do. Yeah. So now we're going to get people. back to someone who uh, could be part of the curse. An un, um, unnatural ending. You started out by telling me that it would not be easy to dismiss some of these things. No, these ones are easy to dismiss. Okay. Because yeah. so far, it sounded like an abusive boyfriend and some medical problems. Right. One other murder involved with the case that was that of Lou Perryman, who had a bit part in the movie as one of the workers digging out the Freeling's pool. Now, you did say murder. Yeah. Okay. 
Perryman was best known for his work in the films The Blues Brothers, Boys Don't Cry, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and When Zachary Beaver come, Came to Town. Great name. Yeah. Yep. Perryman was found dead at his Austin home. So is Perryman. Perryman is good, but Zachary Beaver is better. Perryman. Hold on. Perryman Perry the platypus. The platypus. <laughs> Hold on. Perry the platypus Perryman. Why did I not write the guy's first name? Son of a bitch. Oh, I wrote this weird. Hold on. I hope it's Perry. Okay. No. So it's not just me. No, this one I messed up because the way I wrote this. So you know how sometimes you get in a fugue state when you're doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that happens to you when you write occasionally, yeah. and then even you <laughs> later are like, "I know I was on something, but what? What the hell was I right?" right. So because it just jumps, I literally says he was found dead at his Austin home. Police say Tatum showed up at a jail facility and told officials he was pretty sure he'd killed the owner of a car he'd stolen. You. <laughs> He's pretty sure. <laughs> you skipped a paragraph, maybe? Somewhere. Uh, hold on. Um, <laughs> Tatum. Huh? <laughs> Tatum. Tatum. So police later found Perryman's body. Hold on. Let me see something here. Nope. I don't explain jack shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's even better. Um, uh, it is. It is, actually. So police later found Perryman's body. Authorities said that Tatum came upon Perryman's house in South Austin by chance. I'm just guessing. That Tatum is just a suspect or the person who did kill this person? Tatum was an escape prisoner. Okay. Or a release prisoner. Either way. Either way. I think maybe you you were just thinking that Tatum was just some dude who wasn't going to matter in a few minutes. So maybe. it's fine. Um, Which is probably true. Like he probably was yeah. just some suspect. Or other. So authorities said that Tatum came upon Perryman's house in South Austin by chance after he had attacked his mother's ex-boyfriend with garden shears and an iron fireplace poker earlier in the day on April 1st, 2009. That's getting medieval on somebody. 100%. When you're coming at him Where with would gardening you say equipment. Where you getting medieval? Gardening equipment and a fireplace poker? It's on their ass. Oh. I'm gonna... about to get medieval on your ass. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Um, These are my favorite type of puns. <laughs> yes. So Tatum told police he killed Perryman, age 67 at the time, for there his it is. car, Prosecutor Judy, uh, Prosecutor Judy Shipway said. Court documents show that as part of a con- competency hearing in 2006... It has taken me this far to put together why people think the film was haunted. It's just because all of these people worked on the same film. Yeah. Yep. That's it. And yep. bad shit happened to him afterwards. But like, yeah. It's basically the same as like, remember when we did video games and we talked about the Madden curse? Yeah. All these bad things just happen to happen to these people. Yeah. All right, guys. They're the yeah, world's only egg-laying mem tile. <laughs> <laughs> and no one knows what we're talking about now. Uh, Are you recording now? <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. So no we've context. Had, we've had some technical difficulties. Yeah, we're back. Sorry. Um, uh, an egg-legging ma'am tile? Perry yes. the egg-legging ma'am tile. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, Tatum. Oh, shit. I really forgot what I was going to say. Yeah. Just, we'll do it again. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We had some technical difficulties. Uh, yeah. So let's call we them bet. storm-related. Yes. So, yeah. Tatum's mother, Joan, Power told surge. Austin American Statesman that her son's arrest that he had stopped taking his medications about a month before Perryman's death because he didn't think they were helping him. Right, right, right. We talked about, okay, so we've only missed a couple of minutes then. So, but I will reiterate because that was kind of important. We don't, we don't condone 
just stopping taking permanent medication. Usually that comes with some really bad withdrawal symptoms and side effects. Up to and including death. death. Yeah. So just don't. The mental side effects are usually worse than the physical ones, but the physical ones can be real bad too. Talk to your doctor. Wean yourself off if you really want to quit. It right. Do it right. Don't put yourself in more danger than you need to. It's always up to you, but how you do it is not entirely up to you. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, we 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 preach safety on this program. Um so, you know, so Shipway, the prosecutor, said the attack, which left Drake with a fractured skull, occurred while Drake was sit- sitting in the bathroom. Who's Drake? Drake, Drake was Perryman? The, the bro- boyfriend of the mother that was attacked first. Oh, was right. Attacked so with this poker is the poker and the this, shears. Okay, right. Yeah, we had to back up that far. Okay. Um, she said there was no evidence of what initiated the attack, although she did note that the two had a history of bad blood and that Tatum had told detectives he had been using drugs before the attack. Tatum fled the house on foot and later that day ended up on Darvone Circle about two miles southwest of the house or his house. Uh, There he saw Perryman on his front lawn and began a conversation. Tatum told police he attempted to befriend Perryman to steal his car. Shipway said they spoke for a bit in the front yard before Perryman went inside his house. Um, Perryman was sitting at a desk using his computer. I'm actually following better the second time. Yes, me <laughs> when too. When Tatum came through the front door and struck him with an axe more than 10 times. On some Lizzie Borden type shit. Yes. Right, on some absolute n- crazy nonsense. Right. Um, yeah. That's mo- not just a regular, that ain't regular mental illness. Yeah. That's, the, you, you, mm, you need some <laughs> help. So Tatum fled in Perryman's 1994 Geo and told police he spent the night at the park. The next day, he parked Perryman's car near the Blackwell Thurman Criminal Justice Center. Yeah, see, I had missed the whole night in the park last time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And told a sheriff's deputy that it was stolen and that he had killed the man who owned it. An an arrest affidavit. So why did you steal the car? This is why I'm saying he's crazy. (laughs) Uh, He was given life in prison for the murder. Okay, right. Thank you. This is where we were. I was going to say, you mean to tell me. That the man from earlier in this story who killed his girlfriend basically in cold blood. Totally in cold blood. Right. Oh. He got three years and seven months and 20 some odd days. Right. Yep. And probation. Don't forget the probation. And probation. And this man (laughs) who was clearly severely mentally ill at the very least, if not disabled somehow. Like, and also... um, on a bunch of drugs, self-medicating probably, um, that that dude who turned himself in the very next day got his whole life is now in prison? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to check in and make sure that we all understood that that's how we treat people who are mentally ill in this country. Yeah. So all of that brings us to the last and most tragic death blamed on the curse. That of Heather O'Rourke. Unless you're white and violent, then you can walk the streets free as you want. <laughs> uh, and we're going to talk about Heather O'Rourke, the little <laughs> the little girl who played Carol Ann in all three iterations oh, of the movie. Yeah. Heather O'Rourke was born <coughs> was born on December twenty seventh, nineteen seventy five, in San Diego, California. She had an older sister, Tammy, who was also an actress. What year are we in again? We're back to the eighty two. Yeah, we're, I'm discussing the early life of. This. Just trying to okay. follow. Um, 
I'm just trying to keep up. Yeah. So her older sister, Tammy, was an actress. And it was because of this fact that Heather was discovered at the MGM commissary by none other than Steven Spielberg himself. It's who you know, people. <laughs> while eating lunch uh, while her sister was filming the movie Pennies from Heaven. Don't know what that means. It or was, is, I mean. It was a movie what? she was in. Yeah. In an interview with American Premier Magazine, Spielberg explained that he was there looking for a beatific four-year-old girl. Beatific, yes. Beatific, thank you. Like uh, the Beatitudes. Yeah. A four-year-old child for the role of Car- Carol Ann. After for any of you who were also raised in a cult. <laughs> uh, after spotting O'Rourke, Spielberg offered her the role, and after a brief audition where she laughed while being filmed, O'Rourke was able to scream convincingly on cue and was signed the next day, beating out Drew Barrymore, who was also up for the role. Wild. Yeah. You said Drew That's Barrymore's name. That's actually pretty interesting. That's yeah. pretty fun. Now, during production... We Sp- recognize the name, Josh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that I didn't one. expect that to I happen that in this one. episode. Me either. <laughs> uh, during, this produc- during the production, Spielberg twice accommodated O'Rourke when she became too frightened. Once, when she was scared performing a stunt, he replaced her with a stunt double in a blonde wig. And when she was disturbed by the portrayal of child abuse, which I don't remember in the movie, but I don't know. They did. You mentioned an arm wrapping around. A, yeah, true. A neck uh, of Spielberg. A child. Who, who stunt doubles for a four-year-old? Yeah. A, a mannequin with a wig on, apparently. <laughs> no, it said a stunt performer. Oh, another four-year-old? Yeah. I feel like or it's just really like, like Drew a Drew Barrymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just like a weird perspective shot where yeah. it is a full-grown woman right. or man. Oh, no. Um, like in the fucking Lord of the Rings movies? Yes. Yeah, well, in The Exorcist, um, for the more graphic scenes, I mean, she was playing a 12-year-old, I mean, she was a 12-year-old girl, and the more graphic scenes, they had a, a, a grown woman playing her. For like the crucifix scene, I think the, you kind of huh. gotta for some things. Yeah. yeah, there's certain things you just can't put a kid through for yeah. the and sake also, of a movie. And also, as wildly messed up as Spielberg is, he's usually got a pretty clean track record with kids, unless you count Jurassic Park, <laughs> which know. was was that him Spielberg? Yeah, or was he that Spielberg. Yeah, 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 yeah. The first three he directed. Yeah. So the you know how the T Rex? Yeah. Yeah, that T Rex almost killed them kids like three times. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um. So, yeah, when she was disturbed by the portrayal of child abuse, Spielberg did not require her to perform the take again. Heather O'Rourke would be nominated for a Young Artist Award for her performance, the first of many in her short career. After Poltergeist, she managed to secure several series and TV movie roles. Spielberg is that um, is also the fucking hotel one. The No. Yes? God damn it. With... The Shining? Yeah. That's Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, after Poltergeist... Kubrick, worse than Spielberg. Yeah. After Poltergeist, she managed to secure several series and TV movie roles, appearing in Chips, Webster, for which she won an, a Young Actor Award, the new Leave it to Beaver, <laughs> Our House, and a recurring role on is Happy it, Days. Is it a very, very, very fine house? Yes. Uh, she went in on the to reprise of the her role of... With Car- two cats in the yard. She went on to reprise her role as Carol Ann in the Poltergeist 2 and Poltergeist 3. Both sequels did not perform as well as the original, though O'Rourke's acting was praised. And both. What? You said O'Rourke so many times that I got dazed. I'm sorry. That's your last <laughs> name. I'm just, it's, I'm having a real bad rash of ADHD days. Okay. Yeah, no, me, to me too. Up. Yeah. In early 87. I am coming up, I, just for the audience, I'm coming up on the anniversary of a bad thing. Yeah. So it's just really affecting me right now. That's all. 
In early 1987, Heather O'Rourke contracted giardiasis, which is a parasitic disease caused by giardia duodenalis, which is a, a, a viral infection. Okay. Or parasitic infection. You said parasitic. Sorry. Yeah, parasitic infection. So it's a parasite. So, or, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so um, is this a deadly one? Did she no, die? Okay. No. Well, uh, well, she um, she got it from well water at her family home on Big Bear Lake. Oof, That's like an amoeba. Well water. Yeah. That's yeah. scary. Subsequently, she was diagnosed with having Crohn's disease. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not a fun one. No, it's not. I have that. Yeah. She was given cortisone injections during the filming of Poltergeist 3 to help with the symptoms. Now, this resulted in facial swelling of her cheeks. Oof. That her mom stated she was very self-conscious about. Yeah. On January 31st, 1988, Heather began showing symptoms of the flu. The following morning, she collapsed in her home and was rushed to the hospital. On the way, she suffered a cardiac arrest, but paramedics were able to restart her heart. Is she, was she, like, allergic to the medicine or something? Mm-mm, doesn't. No, we get to that. It just, okay. She was subsequently flown to the Children's Hospital in San Diego, where it was discovered that she had intestinal stenosis or a narrowing of her intestines. She was rushed into surgery. While in recovery, she suffered another cardiac arrest. Doctors performed... Why does stenosis do that? Well, it ended up that basically she, her intestines ruptured and she had, uh, 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 what's it called? Fuck. What's the word? She was septic. Oh yeah. yeah, Septic shock. So okay. doctors performed CPR on her for over 30 minutes, but she was pronounced dead at 2.43 p.m. February 1st, 1988. Damn. She was, wasn't even 13 years old. She was 12. Jesus. Now, Daniel Hollander, the head of gastroenterology at the University of California, Irvine Medical Center, stated that her death was distinctly unusual. No she, fucking way. As she lacked any prior symptoms of the bowel defect, stating, I would have suspected a lot of digestive difficulties throughout her life, and not just develop the problem all of a sudden. I will take this moment to point out that child actors, especially the girl ones, are pressured into what amounts to developing eating disorders. <laughs> However, Dr. Hollander further stated that it was possible for a congenital bowel narrowing to cause sudden death without symptoms if an infection caused the bowel to rupture. So the combination of, mm-hmm. yeah, wow. Other specialists, also unconnected with the case, said Wednesday, Wednesday, this was from an article, it was possible she died as the result of a birth defect, but added that the circumstances of her death were extremely unusual. Terry Merriman, spokeswoman for Children's Hospital of San Diego, said Heather died Monday of septic shock due to congenital stenosis of the lower intestine. This one is just sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem supernatural to me. No. None of it's supernatural. Well, yeah. that, well it yeah, wouldn't be on our fucking show if yeah. it, but like, <laughs> you know, but I just I don't know, man. This is one of those where it's like I, I don't want to quantify sadness, but like <laughs> I feel like it is a tragedy that this kid just fucking got sick and died. Yeah. Yeah. In modern in a modern <laughs> World. I think it's it's like, also just as much a tragedy that it's attributed to something so silly as that's the what I'm trying to get at. Yes. It's like we're getting yeah. it. It's a silly Spielberg joint. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's supposed to be scary or whatever. But like again, these are real people. Right. Right. 
know what I'm saying? A woman died in her front yard because she got strangled by her boyfriend. Right. Yep. You know what I'm saying? A man got murdered by a random stranger who wanted to steal his car. Yep. This is not a fucking curse. It's a tragedy in real life that happened to a real person. Right. So, um... At least the Madden curse was just stupid football shit. That's so, true. Those are fun. At least like your those. stats just sucked that year. Right. Like, <laughs> that means that she died of shock caused by infection in the blood, which in turn was caused by a birth defect that made a section of her intestine abnormally narrow. Uh, Such narrowing typically reduces bowel diameter to one-eighth of an inch instead of the normal half inch, impeding movement of food and fluid through the bowel. I don't know what magnitudes are, but that's a big one. <laughs> The That's defect, a big difference. The defect is usually apparent at birth because it causes severe abdominal pain, vomiting, and nausea, Hollander said, adding that it is very rare for the disorder to kill an older child who lacked prior symptoms. Mike Meyer, the actress's manager and lawyer, said Heather didn't suffer chronic digestive problems and the bowel narrowing wasn't discovered until she underwent surgery and died on the operating table after suffering cardiac arrest en route to the hospital. Damn. Hollander speculated that Heather's bowel narrowing might not have been congenital, but could have developed suddenly due to inflammation. Moderate bowel narrowing at birth might not cause symptoms, but a lack of symptoms before age 12 would be distinctly unusual, said Paul Heyman, chief of pediatric gastroenterology at Harbor University of California, Los Angeles Medical Center. Basically, when you're you're only eating liquids or near liquids, a narrower bowel, passageway doesn't super matter that much right right but when you get to solids you're gonna notice yeah so real quick and real bad yeah so i cannot understand what precipitated the death because it's usually clear when they're born they have an important disease said dr carlo di lorenzo a university of southern california pediatrician it just doesn't seem to make quite quite make sense said dr hartley cohen a usc gastroenterologist it's weird, Meyer said. She was completely healthy Sunday. They thought she had the flu on Sun, or completely healthy Saturday. They thought she had the flu on Sunday, and she was dead on Monday. Jesus, that's what I mean. Is like that's just that's it's a tragedy. It's not a ghost. Now the story could end here. Oh, oh boy. boy! And the idea of a curse can be well and truly put to bed. But I, for one, have not gotten enough righteous indignation from Ruben to step up, stop there. Are you sure? Fucking a! What I'm if I told you he, he's calling a shot right now because he read that out of the script? Yep. Yeah. What if I told you there was another conspiracy, one much darker and far-reaching than just a simple supernatural curse? I would say, tell me about it, please, Donathan. <clears throat> That's not his real name. While there have been yes, tons of horror yeah, movies released in the past decades, Poltergeist stands out from the crowd. Are we about to talk about the 2015 one? No. Okay, good. It is certainly one of those movies people seem to remember more vividly than others. Why is that? Well, for one, Poltergeist is, Geist oh, is not your no. typical horror flick with a dark atmosphere and adult themes. It was written and co-directed by Steven Spielberg, who was simultaneously working on E.T. the Extraterrestrial at the time. In fact, the summer that one does have a Drew Barrymore in it. Yeah. The summer of 1982 was dubbed the Summer of Spielberg because uh, both movies were released one week apart. At first glance, prolific. Yeah. At first glance, Poltergeist has a similar look and Do you feel. know where this is going? I have a like borderline repressed memory of a weird theory. We'll see. All right. 
Uh, Poltergeist has a similar look and feel to E.T. However, Poltergeist quickly turns into pure nightmare fodder for children. In fact, so does E.T. The movie <laughs> appears to be specifically made to terrify young viewers. So does E.T. Yeah. Millions of children ended up watching the movie because, astoundingly, it was rated PG. Despite the fact that there's a scene where a guy literally peels his face off. You said nobody dies. He didn't die. That'll kill you. Mm, not if it's a hallucination. Oh. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh. That How was did, one of the scenes that like messed with me as a yeah. kid. Yeah. How did Spielberg that Spielberg is fucked peels up. that shit off. Was it a gross oversight? I'm going to take his face <laughs> off. Yeah. A 2001 article in the New Yorker revealed that Poltergeist was initially given an R rating by the Motion Picture Association of America through a unanimous vote. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't actually give a shit about the rating system. However, people I think don't. Yeah. According. This is talking about the 80s, though. Fair. Yeah. Very fair. Uh, After intense pressure by the movie makers, including Spielberg himself, the movie ended up getting a PG rating by unanimous vote. In other words, the system got corrupted. This caused countless parents to believe the movie was okay for children to watch. It wasn't. It the, says parental guidance. Guide them. The headline of a right. 20- if if I'm gonna rate my shit parental guidance, you know what that means? That means you got to spend about well, not twice the money, about one point five times the amount of money that you would have had to spend otherwise. Because that means you got to go see the film first, motherfucker. Yep. Then you get to decide whether your kid yep. can see it or not. So, and if they can't, you got to be part of the cultural movement of poltergeist. Right. So the headline of a 2020 article on Polygon. Damn it, he got me. Read poltergeist. I haven't even got to that point. Yeah, yet. but you already got me. So the <laughs> article on Polygon read poltergeist's PG rating was a crime against children of the 80s. Fuck poltergeist. Or what did you say? Polygon. I actually kind of like Polygon, but fuck Polygon. <laughs> I, for that. I, Polygon did Unraveled. I, with yeah, Brian I fuck, David Gilbert. And they also kind of launched the McElroy career. Yeah. So, like, I can't uh, be mad at So, him. the author of this article goes as far. I can, to be clear. Goes as far as calling Poltergeist a betrayal of Spielberg's audience. Although, this is really one of those, like, it's what I was doing earlier. Fuck Spielberg kind of thing, <laughs> you know, whatever. He argues this movie is jam packed with stuff to specifically and intentionally terrify children. You mean scary things. For kids specifically, though. Okay. I don't know. Scary's just kind of scary. Scary, right. (laughs) Call them when I see them. Yeah. (laughs) I knew it was going to happen. And I haven't even gotten to the part I was talking about yet. I'm dissatisfied (laughs) with these people. So it's not limited to the clown. The tree, Spielberg just said. First of all, there was a whole polygon do you not remember the clown one when when everybody was dressing up like clowns and being weird? Because that shit has been happening since forever. That was really overblown, actually. Yeah, well, yeah, it wasn't much of a real thing. No, it wasn't. A re- that's why I say when people were dressing up as clowns and pre- pretending to be creepy, because there was one weird clown, and then everybody was like, "I'm gonna be a weird clown too." Exactly. And there weren't even that many. Copycats. And it was like four Mo- of them. Most of them were staged, and it was teenagers and shit. Pranking yeah. each other. So, yeah, the scares are not also, limited to... Also, clowns are just scary. They're just uncomfortable to the, be around. So the scares are not limited to the clown, the tree, and the bedroom closet. The evil is in the TV. There's one in every room to take you straight to hell. 
You're not safe inside your own home, especially at night, which is always strobe lit by lightning. Quick question. Hmm. Do adults not watch TV? No, never. Okay. <laughs> in short... I, b- I believe you. In short, poltergeists contain scenes that... Sadist- uh, sadistically poke at children's most visceral fears, anxieties. Sadistically, huh? Yeah. If you really want to sadistically poke at a child's most deepest fears, your mom and dad don't want you. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's the deepest fear for a kid. In fact, (laughs) in fact, according to IMDb, they do just in case you're a kid listening to this. I'm just making a point. It's cool. Hey, listen, but also parents take this away from your kid. Yeah. Yeah, what are you doing? Actually, you know what? If you have listened to this before your child, I guess you're cool with it, then fine. That's parental for me. guidance yeah. for me. Like, But according to IMDb, uh, actor Shirley MacLaine actually turned down the role of the mother in Poltergeist because she objected to the terrorization of children. Um, MacLaine clearly realized that there was something Again, wrong with the movie. Parental guidance, even back in the fucking 80s, meant like, my teen or my teen can go see this. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't like a my kid can go see it without me movie. So McLean clearly realized that there was something wrong with that movie. Not only did it insidiously prey on children, it but, doesn't. But a bizarre <laughs> number of actors who worked on the three Poltergeist movies ended up dead. These bizarre yeah, events. Yeah, a led couple to- of decades later, <laughs> these bizarre events led to the urban legend about the Poltergeist curse. Either that. Or the movie industry is sick. That's the one. Poltergeist is about a five-year-old girl named Carol Ann, played by Heather O'Rourke, who gets abducted by demonic spirits who communicate with her through the TV. So is it. Carol Ann. And the fucking, the, the ring. Carol Ann calls them TV people. The industry is telling you that it is preying on children. It's oh, just my God. a metaphor for the, the Fox box. The tube, the one that we thought was giving people cancer and making zombies out of you. The TV and we people, still do think that. The TV people exist with an evil entity called the Beast. I don't, and sane people don't, but you know, a fanaticists. Symbolic, a symbolic fact, which somehow leads to... Uh, what is a symbolic fact? A f- no. The sound effect that was used for the Beast in Poltergeist? Uh-huh is the source of the current MGM lion roar. So that's proof there's a conspiracy. No. Yes. It doesn't. Yeah, we're doing all the weird, like, it's Satanist stuff. It's just a fucking budget thing, guys. No, the Satanists are coming for your children. They're going to use the sound for... What? (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I have succeeded. Damn yes. it. The terror in Poltergeist does You got not... Ruben to fuck off. Yep. I, I just got to get him to gargle the nuts. Yep. Uh, the terror in Poltergeist does not take place in a dark forest or an abandoned warehouse. It takes place in a regular house in the children's room at bedtime. <gasps> you know what? That sounds like it's engineered to scare children. Parents. Oh. Feeling frightful at nighttime is a visceral instinct for children. It's programmed in our genes for survival. While parents do everything, they can quell these fears. Poltergeist did the exact opposite. Right. To scare parents. <laughs> While filming one scene, Heather O'Rourke had to Kids hold on. Kids was just a happy accident, <laughs> as we say. <laughs> but also in the, in the sense that he got the PG rating because he was like, oh, nobody technically dies in this movie. 
I don't technically right. break any of the rules. I'm going to get a lower rating and a larger and audience then, yes, for more exactly. money. It's right. just about the profit. whole fucking thing. So that's why Spielberg is one of the richest people in this country right now. So, and while filming one scene, Heather O'Rourke had to hold onto the headboard as of the bed while the wind blew, machine blew toys in the closet behind her. The scene reportedly terrified her to the point that she quote unquote fell apart. After getting sucked into the closet, Carol Ann is missing. Her parents discover that they can communicate with her through the television, and they quickly realize that the TV people are not nice at all. In a harrowing scene, we can hear Carol Ann screaming through the TV, Mommy, there's somebody coming. Mommy, help me, please. Again, that seems engineered to scare a parent. Yes. Uh, Get away from me. Leave me alone. Like, if I was to imagine the types of nightmares that I would have if I had a six-year-old daughter... In the 80s, it would be a combination of the TV is turning her into something bad, and also she got abducted. Yeah. Right. So, completely powerless against the quote-unquote TV people, her mother yells out, you bastard, she's just a baby. Again. Tangina, the movie Psychic Medium, and that's the first time I've mentioned her, there's a psychic in the movie called it's, Tangina. I, there has to be explains to count that, as a horror movie, I think. That a terrible presence is with Carol Ann. She says it keeps Carol Ann very close to it. It lies to her. It says things only a child can understand. To her, it is simply another child. To us, it is the beast. She's under restraint. There are so many arms about her. She thinks it's safe. Sadly enough, the same exact words can be used to describe Hollywood child predators who lure, lure children into their TV people realm. That I was just going to say that that again sounds like something that would be engineered to scare a parent someone is gonna groom my child so going back to the death of o'rourke for a moment an article states the following in short o'rourke's death had something to do with her intestines however if she had been born with this issue o'rourke would have displayed severe symptoms so what happened in 2017 nt ENTY, who is an anonymous entertainment lawyer behind the famed Hollywood gossip site Crazy Days and Nights, provided a highly disturbing explanation. In the blind item... Also, this is 2017. Like, come on. (laughs) Uh, They're just out of shit to write about. In the blind item titled Monsters Killed Her, which was later revealed to be about Heather O'Rourke. This is about to be on the same level as fucking Katy Perry is actually that one child that got murdered. Yeah. Yeah. Joan Benet Ramsey or whatever. So, N.T. writes, the mid-80s was peak child molesting time in Hollywood. Was it peak child molesting time is not a combination of words I ever want to hear again. (laughs) Epstein didn't die until like 2018 or something. Yeah. God, has it been that long? Holy fuck. (laughs) The last three years. No, it might have been earlier than that because it was because I wasn't Trump still in office when he died. Yeah, but Trump yeah. left office in 2020. So oh, that's true. Yeah, I think it was like 2018. So uh, there was no internet. There was very, very few mobile phones. Children came to the set where they were left Fuck, alone by I their parents. Got it. it was 2016 when he. God damn. For the next eight hours, they were subject to every kind of horrible thing you could imagine. Drugs were commonplace. They were used to try and get the kids not to be so hysterical while being assaulted. Producers loved casting shows with kids and tweens. And if someone pitched a show that involved a handful of tweens with a dozen tween extras per week, it would get a green light. 
even if the show were going to suck and everyone knew it was going to suck, if you got the right pedo at a studio, he would say yes just to come for the casting. Uh, as sad as it is to say, there were a lot of parents who told their kids to go off with the nice man in the suit and do what he says. It was a sick, sick time. This is the realest shit I've ever heard. Like, in relation to a part. ghost story. Just that part specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, that is how the cycle of abuse kept up. And mm-hmm. that's why I said in an earlier episode that at least Matilda got out. Yeah, It's why modern monsters like Dan Schneider right. were allowed to exist. Again, Epstein, mm-hmm. Trump, yeah. fucking... Yeah. Goddamn R. Kelly, Drake, yeah. probably. Like, I don't even Drake, know. Drake, definitely. Oh, I mean, allegedly, legally. Yeah. But, like. Allegedly, I have to say, because this why, is recorded. Drake, why were you texting Millie Bobby Brown like you was her fucking friend? You're way too old for that shit. I yeah. need you to cool it. It was just past the mid-80s when a producer I came. know that's old news, but man, get it together. <laughs> Still pisses me off on a regular basis. I think about that shit all the time. So yeah, it's one of those things that just pops into my head and makes me mad. Yeah. So it was just past the mid-80s when a producer came up with an idea of a tween show that not only would feature a rotating cast of extras, but would make the studio a bunch of money because they would film quickly and not hire any adults. Further... The faster they filmed, the more time they would have to molest all the kids that would be hanging around. From the, f- I'll be honest, this is a little bit of an extreme example, but it is fairly true. So, like this type of shit did happen. It yeah. wasn't as rampant as maybe we want to think it was. Yeah, with our twenty twenty two vision, but like, or what are we in twenty one? Twenty two. We are in twenty two. You're right the first time. Unfortunately. Christ. Yeah. Makes me mad. Oh my God. From the first day, it was the worst place on earth if you were a kid. The studio would show the were where the show was filmed, also had several other shows being filmed there, most of which featured lots of children. Executives would drive over to Hollywood right before lunch and would stay at the studio for several hours each day. Anyway, on this particular show, there was a special guest <laughs> Anyway. There was a special guest star, a very special guest star. That's bad. Still not a tween. Everyone knew who she was. Executives flocked to the studio that day to see her. Now, they're talking about Heather O'Rourke. I, I couldn't have yeah. guessed. Well, I'm just making sure because. Uh, you're right to make sure, though. Yeah. yeah she uh, was. <laughs> I will be sarcastic when good it call, f- good suits call. me, but good call. She was first molested when she was five or six and had continued to be molested throughout her hit movies and also on a previous show. This should have had a warning at the top. Sorry. We're going to have to record <laughs> one. One of the stars of that show who had spent her life. Although I understand why we don't because we want to get the full impact yeah, within yeah. the episode. But, you know, we yeah. don't want to subject our listeners to that. So. so one of the stars of the show who had spent her life bouncing in and out of rehab because of what she saw. How much of this was alleged? And how All was of it? it. So, it, okay, but it is the 80s, though. Yeah. But this was written in 2017. Okay, so here we are back at the 2017 point that I made a minute ago and yeah. forgot about. Yeah. You got to remember what kind of became big in 2016 and is still going. Yeah. Yeah. We won't go there, but you know, this I'm episode aware. of Sesame Street is brought to you by a certain letter. One of the stars of the show who had spent her life, yeah, I read that, uh, and who was actually nominated for awards... Uh, from the show, describe the atmosphere that day. And this is the exact quote from this article. How? Who? Okay. It's okay. A bunch of fucking pigs. 
I had just are, turned we're 12 talking or about the woman who died at, or the woman the the girl who died this at 12 This is someone who's talking about the day that uh Heather O'Rourke came on set for this show. So this is an adult talking about this child. Yeah, in the future. Hold on. Okay. Who is the bunch of fucking pigs quote accounted f- to? It doesn't it's a blind item. So that means that they don't give names in the story. Fuck me. Yeah. Do better, writers. Well, no, they do that because you can, you know, a blind item. Like if you look in a gossip rag, like Us Magazine, it'll be like, what two stars are currently seen canoodling at the coffee house? And you're supposed to kind of like speculate. That's what it all is. This is a blind item. There is no nothing proving this. Okay, then start the article over then, because I, I, I'm, we're talking, okay, to confirm. Yes. O'Rourke is the girl who died at 12. Yes. Okay. Start the article then. Okay. This, who is the person who wrote the article again, actually? N-T, E-N-T-Y. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, talk about that. So uh, the show was going to have a, a special guest star, very special guest star, still not a tween. Everyone knew who she was. Executives flocked to the studio that day to see her. She was first molested when she was five or six and had continued to be molested throughout her hit movies and also on a previous show. One of the stars of the show that she was guest starring on, who had spent her life bouncing in and out of rehab because of what she saw that day and who was actually nominated for awards from the show, described the atmosphere that day. Okay. This is straight from the article by Enti. Yes. Enti, if you ever hear this, go Fuck yourself. <laughs> this is what we like to call the pronoun game. I understand mm-hmm. now what you mean by blind item. I'm supposed to assume that this is a person who knew O'Rourke. Right. And was there that day. And was there that day. Right. If you're not citing sources, I don't fucking believe you. Right. So a bunch of fucking pigs. I had just turned 12 or 13. I was the same age as the actress coming in, maybe a little older. We had been shooting for months, and I was old news. They knew I would do what they wanted, but they always wanted someone new. This was someone new and someone they all knew. That's a lot of new. That's a whole lot of new. <laughs> a lot of new. They had and it- also, again, pronoun game. Yeah. Uh, they had it set up like a peep show almost. She had just finished shooting that morning, and they brought her out on a stage. The stage was used most of the time for a game show that was taped there. This game show was still on today. I can't watch it knowing what happened to her. The price is right. (laughs) They brought her out. They brought her out in the front four rows of this theater. This is just exploiting the tragic death of a young woman. Yeah. For no reason. They brought her out and the front four rows of this theater were filled with guys who were already rubbing themselves. The girl was wearing a bikini. The show took place around a beach so they could just make these girls wear next to nothing. They had her walk around under the lights. The lights were focused on her, and she couldn't really see out in the audience. She was squinting. It must have been blinding for her. They had her walk back and forth. Then they had her start dancing. All of these guys were doing what another star of the same studio got busted for. Masturbating. But again, no way. imagine the, the star. Yeah, no. This, this is, is all for shock this value. Is, you're at right. This, point. this is exactly... The type of story that would have gotten big mm-hmm. in yeah. 2017, and I'm disappointed in this person. Somebody knew what audience they were trying to write for. Yeah. This went on for about 20 minutes. Then three of the guys took her to a different area of the studio. 
The actress didn't see what happened, but about 45 minutes later, one of those three guys came running out and needed a set medic. Apparently, they had inserted something inside the girl and things were bad. The medic came and the ambulance came. The parents of the girl were told some crap story. That crap story ended up killing the girl because the parents believed the executives. Two weeks later, the show finished shooting six episodes all at once, and then everyone was sent on their way forever. No one wanted the kids around or any witnesses to what happened. So basically, they're saying what happened to her intestines was because somebody shoved something up her ass. Yeah, no, I caught that. Okay. That's not how your anything works. No. Inquisitive minds pieced together the clues in this post and determined that the that the TV series in question was Rocky Road. O'Rourke appeared in the episode titled Moscow on Boardwalk, which aired in May of 1987. The actress of the same age. I will, however, go. I will point out that um, in the 80s, there was this awful trend of making young girls be sexy. Yeah. Yeah. It was fucking gross. Like to a weird degree. Like even now. With the exploitation that happens and the shit that we're watch that you all watch today, you know what I'm saying? Like all of it, like it was fucking like you can watch like car, um, not cartoons, fucking commercials, yeah, of like perfume commercials and shit that would have like a teenage girl, like a young teenage girl dressed in like a sheer nightgown or some shit, and like it would make connections between her and like your wife or whatever like it's bad it's very very bad and kids absolutely get abused in the industry oh not like this is describing right this is like some like they're trying to make it sound like a hollywood pedophile cult which is what they were trying to do it yeah. And the real ones of those are on, as we all should know by now, private islands owned by very rich white men yes. who have private jets and they fly all their friends out to the to the parties that they have there. So according to this, uh, the actress of the same age that they believe is telling the story is an actress by the name of Marcianne Warman. Now, naturally, one should take this story from a gossip site with a grain of salt. However, or seven or eight or ten or yeah. a billion. However, a since, since the creation of his site in 2006, NT earned widespread recognition in media due to his correct predictions. Indeed, NT published stories about Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, and Matt Lauer years before their abuses were exposed in mainstream media. Yes, but everyone knew about those things already. No, they the, just, no they're saying he predicted it, that he wrote about it before it became. He wrote about it before it became popular people in right. hollywood knew what the fuck was going down yes and if this you know what i'm saying yeah. like this is just an additional story to keep that hype moving yeah that's all it's like all the disney stars that look back or sorry nickelodeon stars who look back at um you know dan schneider stuff and it's really clear in hindsight what was happening and it was very clear to adults at the time but there were other child actors who did not realize what was happening around them yeah Yeah. so in 2020 inti posted another blind item about o'rourke i mean the disney stars clearly have gone through things as well yes and it was equally disturbing it revealed that the young girl could not even find peace after the mouse can't silence me it was revealed that the young girl could not even find peace after death 
For nearly a decade, the things that occurred at the tomb of this deceased A-list child star actually resulted in her body being permanently moved to an unmarked grave in 2001. She was originally placed in an above-ground mausoleum, which is still marked with her name. I'm so worried that one day one of our fans will oh. do some crazy shit like this. Right. Yeah. Like, don't, don't. <laughs> do not harass a place or a person or people enough that they have to, I don't know, say, dismember a corpse. Right. Or move a body into an unmarked grave or some other shit like that. Leave Leave people alone. Listen to the stories and keep your hands off. Right. Don't. So, don't. Don't. Before you get too indignant. Um, too late. <laughs> so she was originally placed in an above ground mausoleum, which is still marked with her name and at which people still leave flowers and teddy bears. The weird Flowers st- and teddy bears is cool. Yeah. yeah that's the, as far as you're allowed to go. The weird stuff began happening the day after her internment. A man was seen after sundown taking a bouquet of flowers from her grave, but he fled before he could be identified. In the summer of 1988... This is already not cool. In the summer of 1988, someone used red spray paint to write all worn out dash RR across the marble face of her vault. The family was notified, it was photographed, and then over the course of five hours, the vault was cleaned. When was this again? 88. Okay. Summer of 88. Um, so roughly a year after she died, Mm -hmm. uh, the police were called, but they didn't think it was important for whatever reason. The photograph didn't develop properly. Well, it then it didn't happen sometime in the fall of fucking even in the (laughs) eighties pics or or it it did not happen (laughs) sometime in the fall of 1988. Another man, probably the same as before, but there's no way of knowing was spotted kneeling in front of her tomb after dark. He also fled when spotted. On the anniversary of her death in 1989, her family... Are we sure it wasn't like a family member trying to be not harassed? Right. Mm. Doesn't say. Somebody runs up to you with a camera, you fucking leave. Yeah. Uh, Her family gathered at the tomb to remember her. It was a very somber uh, moment. They held hands. The sister placed a little stuffed Dumbo in front of the grave. As they were about to leave, a man approached them and said something which frightened the mother. Her dad and stepdad each took her by an arm and led her away back over to their car. Then they left. The identified man stayed behind and picked up the little Dumbo that the sister left and stuffed it in his pocket before leaving. Now, here's where things get really strange. Mm -hmm. There wasn't much activity around her grave for several years. Then, around 1991... Sounds like a crazy homeless man, then. In 1991, her body was exhumed. It was done in the dark so that no one would notice. Her body was returned to the tomb three days later. Doesn't say why it was exhumed. What proof do we have? This article. By? Not enough. Inti. Fuck them. In 1992, her body was exhumed a second time. One of the- Where are you pulling your sources, you punk bitch? (laughs) On some National Enquirer type bullshit. Uh, Her body was exhumed a second time. On some P.T. Barnum nonsense. (laughs) One of the police present was asked why they were exhuming her again, to which he said, what do you mean again? Turns out the first exhumation wasn't legal, even though they had what looked like real police and really good paperwork. What did they want with the body of the deceased 12-year-old? Who had it? 
motherfucker. Not you, obviously, yeah. but like. <laughs> Fuck this fanfic. I'm going to take a nap. Right. Surely it would warn investigation. I'm going to get some Taco Bell and go home and smoke a blunt. Fuck this. Uh, there was no investigation. So anyway, the coroner's yeah, office. Yeah, no way. The coroner's office <laughs> kept her for about a week before Not she was brought back and we and was reinterred. Nonsense. In 1994, somebody had smashed the face of her tomb, removed her body, cut some hair from her head, and fortunately placed her back in the crypt. Don't believe it. A worker there saw the corpse, and he said she looked remarkably well-preserved. Absolutely not. He started to started to float the possibility that her body had actually been replaced with an exact replica. Nope. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> the police You're trying to turn this into Carl Tanzler Part 3, and it's not going to happen, <laughs> bud. Nope. No, I'm not. I... Well, NT is trying to yeah. turn this into fucking Carlton, and it's not going to work. NT, you're not as good as Don. <laughs> the police investigation went nowhere. In 1999... Yeah, was... no fucking way, because they couldn't even find a hole. In 1999, there was another vandalism of the tomb. It wasn't another smashing, but again, red spray paint had been used again to write, BK killed me. In the summer of 2001, her family... BK. Bonky Kong. Or Burger King. Yeah, I was going to say Burger King. someone with gastro King. problems, Burger King could have True. I mean, that's fair, but that's less funny than I know. Bonky Kong. So um, in the summer of 2001, her family had her body moved to an unmarked grave below ground. Crazy Days and Nights readers deduced that RR-All-Worn-Out was probably a reference to the show Rocky Road. All-Worn-Out could have been a reference to O'Rourke being worn out by the abuse BK Killed Me could refer to Bruce Kane, the producer of Rocky Road. How many years apart were these things? Uh, 2001. Uh, 1999 was the last one. And 88 was the first one. So 11 This years. is already bullshit. <laughs> so Poltergeist was all about preying on children. The movie even got a PG rating, which tricked countless children into watching this nightmarish thing. Tricked. The movie itself was about a young girl getting abducted by... TV people who were controlled by the beast. I don't see a better way of summing up the short life of Heather O'Rourke. She entered the industry as a toddler, and from then on, she was controlled by it. However, unlike Carol Ann and Poltergeist, nobody saved her from these real life TV people. You know what's going to be, um, you know what's good though is that. Nope. Never mind. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not even that's good. None of it. <laughs> No, none I, of it at all. No, nope. <laughs> and that takes us out of the curse of Poltergeist. That's Thank not God. a curse. <laughs> fucks. I cannot believe this. <sighs> a so. Real life isn't so boring that you need to make shit like thank this Thank you. It. Thank you. It's not. It's really not. Interesting enough shit happens that you can write about. Almost anything else. Literally anything else talk about anybody like any, there are so many stories of real abuse don't what are you doing Eugene? Luis Navidad e Eugene Phillips no <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> that's a real person it's gotta be I'm sure somewhere in the world Eugene Phillips patron us now give us money here shortly we are gonna get to the point where we uh won't be calling everybody out because yeah, it's actually we're getting yeah, we're getting, getting a lot more fast. patrons. Yeah, we'll shout out new patrons, of course, yeah, of course, obviously. So, but 
One more time, we got Muddy Blary, Katie Reitzel, Amanda Galili, Jonathan Brada, <laughs> Carly, no last name. Why'd you say it like that? What? Amanda Galili. Galili? Get out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't a mispronunciation. It was just a weird inflection. Yeah. yeah. It was me proving that I can say her last name right. Was it? Yes. Mm. Shut up. <laughs> uh, we got Carly, last name redacted, Whitney Ketchum, Erica Engel, John D., Luis Navidad, and the new ones, we got Beth Lawrence, Pat Zabrowski, and Amy Rennie. Oh, Patty Zap! all of you. Yep. We thank all of you. We appreciate every last one of you. If you're not on that list, what the fuck are you doing? Get on it. Yeah. Get on that list. Two Towns also, Over or Patreon, patreon.com slash Two Towns Over. You have to search. You have to type it in that way. You cannot search for us because we say naughty things. We say yep. fuck a lot. A lot. Yeah, we say, the, you, we say the fuck word too much. For now, since it's still just three of us and we don't have like a network or nothing, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is either through Patreon, obviously, or Facebook.com slash GTO pod. Yes, that's where we are, we are at. We usually either Don or I are replying to usually. you. Shouts out to the plant moms for their good harvest. Yes. yes. Appreciate, we yes, appreciate yes. you. Yes. And of course, shout out. Are there plant babies now or do we got to start over? I am going to... Assume that there I, are other plant babies in rotation. Yeah, okay. I some of the plant babies have grown up and left the nest. Yes, or made a nest. <laughs> <laughs> I've never met a person who is less good at weed puns than Don. I can't understand it. He's real bad at them, guys. Anyway, shouts out to the plant moms. Shouts out to the plant babies, and uh, we hope for their continued well-being. Um. Follow us on Patreon. Follow us on fucking... We can't follow us on Patreon. Fuck, give us money on Patreon. Give us money follow on, us on Patreon. Facebook. Yes. Give us some ratings. Yes. Five ratings. stars, preferably. Yes. You will be contributing financially to increased quality yes. of the show going forward. And also maybe life later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at some point. Right now, just better quality content. We're pretty well, close to actually being minute. able the to... content has nothing to do with how they pay. Better audio quality. There you go. Quality, quality. Not that's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, well, I when I say content quality, the audio quality is part should be of that. I made you some content. We we Daddy should, made we, you some content. <laughs> open wide. I want you to fade out on my voice when I said we should be fading out by this point. Like we should just that should be this should be like the last thing they hear. Just real quiet. Me just not, and then they're not hearing this part anymore. Fuck cancer. Fuck, Fuck cancer. cancer. Bye. Be good to yourselves. Bye bye. I've lost the mouse. There it is. Bye. Thank you.